Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential, and here's your host, Jeff Crank. Hey, thanks for joining us on American Potential. Appreciate you uh, following the podcast and downloading the podcast. We continue to talk about some great issues. I'm at the All Staff Retreat for Americans for Prosperity and always amazed, as I said uh, in a previous podcast, always amazed at the number of people here and, and the great work that Americans for Prosperity is doing around the country. You know, I want to talk about the presidential election because the calendar may say 2023, but people are thinking about 2024. And we have these presidential elections and we always hear for people who live in states that aren't some of the major states, it almost seems like we're forgotten. I live in one of those, Colorado. But in if you live in some of these major states, this is all you hear about is the presidential race. And we have, of course, New Hampshire is the is the second state to go, but the first primary, the first caucus state is the state of Iowa, followed by New Hampshire, the first primary state, and then South Carolina, that is the first southern state to have their voice heard. And on today's podcast, we have um, three great guests, Americans for Prosperity state directors from three of these early primary states. Uh, the state director of Iowa, Drew Klein, state director of New Hampshire, Greg Moore, and the state director from South Carolina, Candace Carroll. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks, for having yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks. Yeah. So, okay. So I'm, I'll start with you. Uh, when people think about New Hampshire, they think about, you know, kind of a smaller state. It's kind of an intimate setting politically, but I don't think people really understand how intimate it really is. Right. Give us a sense of that. What's it like living in New Hampshire during a presidential election? It, the, a lot of the, the, intensity it just gets ramped up and it, and it's particularly true between the periods of Iowa and New Hampshire but all these candidates are around and there's a common joke where, where they ask somebody who are you voting for this certain candidate and they'll say well I don't know I've only met him twice <laughs> and so we really are are a particularly spoiled subset of voters uh the nature of the primary of a caucus versus a caucus is different whereas I think Iowa has far and away the most spoiled activists but New Hampshire has the most spoiled voters because we get so much uh, retail politician we, uh, politics. We have so so much uh, direct access to these candidates that you see them everywhere. And whenever there's a major political event, it's not a shock to see half a dozen presidential candidates there. And you have a chance to sit and talk and, and have a conversation with each one of them. So you really can take your measure of them. And New Hampshire is really good at kicking tires. We've gotten really good through the years at identifying those folks who have a lot of talent and a lot of potential. But the other aspect is, is that New Hampshire is an open primary. So uh, even, even people who aren't registered as, in a political party can jump in and vote in either the Republican or president, uh, Democrat presidential contest uh, that day and make that decision. So it, 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 to be appealing in New Hampshire, not only do you have to appeal, appeal to the party's base, but if you really want to be successful, you have to appeal to the base as well as a little bit to the middle as well. And I think that sort of differentiates ourselves from the very different dynamics of a caucus in Iowa. Yeah, I, I, mean, I have so many questions that are running through my head uh, about so many things in New Hampshire, in all of these states. Let's talk, Drew, I want to ask you, though, the difference between a caucus and a primary, because Iowa is the first first in the nation, first caucus uh, to go. And tell folks what the dif what's the difference between a primary yeah. and a caucus. 
Yeah, there's a lot of difference. Um, you know, I think, you know, when you think of primaries, you think of, well, it's just a, you know, just like a general election, except earlier in the calendar year, um, you know, you show up and you cast a ballot. Caucuses are, are very different. And, and admittedly, the caucuses on the Democrat side are even um, are, are even more um, I don't mean this disparity disparagingly, but but more bizarre um, than on the Republican side. But these are you, you've got to show up in person at a given time on a given day. There's no absentee voting. There's no early voting. There's no you've you got to be there. You got to show up. And and so as a result of that, um, you know, to, to Greg's point, you, you really are catering to the most active portion of the base of those parties. Um, and, and we won't get into all of the math and procedure on the Democrat side, but but on the Republican side, you, you show up, you, you sit in, you know, maybe you're in a church basement or a school gymnasium or in, in rural parts of the state. Sometimes you're literally in your neighbor's living room. Um, and, and this is a function of the, the party itself. Um, and, and as a result of, of just the, the type of setting, it really lends itself to being kind of a community activity. Nobody, um, nobody really shows up and participates in the caucus as a standalone free agent. They, they do it because their neighbors are doing it or it's a family tradition or um, their church group is, is heavily active and, and their church drives them. Or, but they are part of a larger civic organization of some sort, whether that's, like I said, family, church, um, neighborhood. And and so you really get these blocks of people participating in the caucuses because of that. Yeah. By the way, you're the, I think you're going to be the first state director to be on two podcast episodes. You're chasing, oh. you and Jesse Mallory are fighting for it, but you know, I mean, I'm, I am taking bribes. So it is whatever you want to. <laughs> Whatever. All right. Well, I uh, we'll look, make sure you air first. Come on out to Iowa. I've, I've got some special guests in for this. <laughs> I all want to be on the podcast. Lots right? of corn. Lots of corn. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And Candace, uh, South Carolina, how did South Carolina become number one so important? But how did it become the first in the South? Yeah, actually, so we've been the first in the South and have fought for that since the 1980s. This is something that South Carolina has taken a lot of pride in and fought for that space, especially on the Republican side. And this year will be the first time the Democrat side has said, like, we want to be first, not just in the South, but in the nation, too, yeah. for the Democratic primary. And similar to New Hampshire, we have open primaries as well. So folks can vote in either one. You can just just one, but either one. Uh, what I think is so important about South Carolina is the road to the presidency has to come through South Carolina. I don't know about these guys, but we are known for picking the president. Traditionally, whoever wins South Carolina is who ends up winning, especially the Republican nomination. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, coming from, you know, looking at things that happened in New Hampshire, looking at things that happened in Iowa, the candidate who was able to walk out of South Carolina and have all of the other candidates you know, start to drop out of the race. At that point, they pick up a lot of momentum. And so you've got to be able in South Carolina to appeal to folks who are on the far conservative right, a lot of folks who are evangelicals who live in one side of the state to more moderate folks who live down in Charleston. And mm -hmm. so you've got to be able to appeal to both of those bases um, when you're coming in and you're talking about, you know, whatever your policies are for, for the country and how you envision, you know, our America running. What I think, too, is important is knowing that similar to New Hampshire, it's a very intimate setting. We see presidential candidates all the time. We have two of our own running from South Carolina this year, which is unique yeah. in that, like, they're there all the time. And so, you know, having that opportunity to have folks come in, sit down with you, not just go to these, like, big conventions, 
but you see them in your local coffee shops. You see them, you know, grabbing lunch with, with someone. And so being able to have that intimate setting with them, learn what they're about, especially this year where we've, like I mentioned, we've got two of our own, right? So people have looked at their voting records, both, you know, from being in the Senate, from being governor, and they're taking that into account as to what they want to happen next year in 2024. Yeah. And South Carolina, I mean, even, you know, for the Democrats, it was, it was just, it was the critical state. Critical state all the way around. Yes. And so, you know, we really, you know, look at like the candidate who can carry the African-American vote, who can carry the suburban mom vote, who can carry like, you know, it's, we have a good voter base mix. And so you've got to be able to appeal to all of that and then carry that out. Yeah. Right. So, uh, Greg, tell me, like you talked about the intimacy of this in New Hampshire. I only, only met him twice. That's a great, that's a great <laughs> saying. I'm sure everybody in New Hampshire knows that saying, right? Absolutely. <laughs> that, that in, that in uh, Iowa picks corn and New Hampshire picks presidents. <laughs> okay, there you go. There you go. Uh, you get a chance to, re- to rebut. In just I'll a wait. Second. Yeah, I'll wait. Uh, okay, Greg. So tell me, give me an example of that. Tell me a story. Like you walk into a diner in the middle of this and there's, and, and uh, we've seen it on TV where, you'll be eating in a diner and a presidential candidate just walk through and start shaking hands. I'll give an example from, from uh, just recently. Uh, I actually went to a diner where I, I knew that governor DeSantis was going to be attending. So I said, and I'm a political junkie. I, yeah, I go to all right. these candidates uh, events and sure enough, I was there and there's some more other political junkie diehards who had some advance notice that the governor was going to be there. There were also tons of people who were just there having lunch. Yeah. And they were just eating lunch. And all of a sudden, the governor of Florida shows up and is shaking your hand. So, but that's a, that's a really uh, traditional thing to happen in New Hampshire where, where uh, the diner tours are, are, are really common where they, they get out and try to connect directly with folks in, the, in these diners. Uh, it's not so much large events. It really isn't a case where there's many, many times we have something like 5,000 people get together. That's very uncommon. It really is, how do you work small group settings, house parties of 25 people, um, town hall meetings of 50 people, and then these intimate diner settings. And because of that, uh, it's not just your policies, but your personality comes through. And people can start to actually win over votes because it's, it's, they get this strong direct connection with these folks. And it's usually over the course of a month. And what you'll see is the successful candidates in New Hampshire, you'll see they'll show up They'll be fairly well-known, but not particularly well-known. And in the first round, you'll have 25 people at their, at their town hall meeting. And then the buzz will start in that, in that area. And then they'll come back to that same area, and it'll be 50 people. And then, and then if something really catches fire, there'll be 100 people. And you, so you can physically watch that momentum growing, which you maybe don't get um, watching a national newscast or, sure. or some of the Super Tuesday states who don't get this type of retail politics. You don't... You can't physically see that type or of they sh- Or they shrink. Something goes uh, bad in a campaign that, and you and start And there's another market people. signal. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. How about you, Drew? You, uh, we talked about the fairs. I know the, 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 the state fair and things like that. Uh, candidates must be swarming. Those yeah, you've people. got state fairs and county fairs. I mean, literally any, any collection of people is a justification for a candidate to show up and shake hands and, and introduce themselves. But it, it's actually very similar to New Hampshire in that sense. Um, you know, this is going to be a process that takes place over several visits. Nobody is committing on their, on their first date um, with a, with a candidate. Uh, in fact, we had, 
we had some of our staffers just a couple of weeks ago that got to play tennis with a with a presidential candidate uh, <laughs> uh, in the state of Iowa. Now, not for not for very long, and um, that candidate's very good at tennis. Um, turns out, um, but yeah, you you get all of these interesting opportunities to to interact with, and and um, it doesn't think uh, or it doesn't feel like you would think the presidential yeah. um, process plays out. It's not just to sit there and, and grill you on your policies and stuff like that. Like we, we want to know where you want to take the country, uh, but we also want to know who's driving the bus. Who's, who are you as a, as a person? What do you value? What are you, you know, what's your backstory? What's your family look like? What's, what's all of those things. I mean, and so you see these people, you know, pop up in diners and, um, you know, they, they run ragged through the state of Iowa, but I've been, I've been sitting in a church service on a Sunday morning and a presidential candidate just kind of walks in and sits down. And oftentimes they're, they're, they're just there. I mean, they are living in Iowa, so they show up for church Sunday morning, like they would if they were back in their home state yeah. and, uh, you know, take a seat in the back of the church and, and, you know, go, go about their Sunday mornings. I mean, it is literally everywhere. You'll, you'll run into them in the grocery store and, Again, anywhere where people are congregating, you're going to find presidential candidates hanging out as well. Right. How, how about a story? Do you have a story like Greg? Like, what's what's the one like the story you remember most of a presidential? Yeah, I, candidate? I remember back in uh, well, there's there's a lot of them. I remember in 2016, we had a uh, a field staffer that had come to Iowa to work for us, but he had come from uh, Montana. And so had never been exposed to presidential candidates this way. And, and he called me one day and he was really excited that he got to, uh, that he got to meet uh, Senator Rick Santorum at this coffee shop. He's like, there were only 10 people there. And, and it, you know, I got to shake his hand and introduce myself and talk to him and, and all of those things. And, and I, uh, I was like, yeah, that's, that's really cool. Now, what I need you to do is I need you to go uh, to the drugstore. And I need you to buy a pair of toenail clippers. Just keep them in your pocket. And next time you see a presidential candidate, take your socks and shoes off and hand them the toenail clippers because in Iowa, they have to clip your toenails. If that's what you ask them to do, like they're trying to win your vote. Uh, and, but, but people are just blown away. You get people, uh, you know, there, there is like this aspect of political tourism and especially like the, the young politicos that moved to Iowa for, for the, the employment opportunities are just blown away at how accessible these people are. And it's not, you know, we, we think of these like big planned out events where like, we know where we're going to be a month in advance. And so we're recruiting all the people and we're doing all those things in Iowa. These are pop-up events. I mean, uh, you know, DeSantis didn't a, a pop-up event, just kind of fly by night. It was literally, it was an event that was built on three hours notice and had, you know, 200 people show up. Those are, we're just wired um, to, to show up. And, and again, it's not, um, it's not fandom. It's not that we're showing up to like, you know, because we're, we're enthralled with politicians. It's, that's our opportunity to grill them and ask them tough questions. And, and you do get some really tough questions that, that are thrown at candidates in these settings and, and not necessarily the ones that you would think that they are, they come in all shapes and sizes. Yeah. Candace, I was going to ask you about surrogates, but before I do that, I, I want to ask you about your story. I'm sure you have a story too. You remember of an interaction with a presidential candidate. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's very similar on the diner situation. So there are certain diners, one in particular that comes to mind in Spartanburg, South Carolina, where presidential candidates, every single one has hit that diner and you can walk in there 
and and see all of the pictures from every single like stop that has been made there with the diner owner with the cooks hanging on the wall and so it's one of those like if you were not hitting that diner then like that's a that's a missed opportunity on your part because everyone else before you have and and yeah it's the same i mean you just you walk into a coffee shop right and they're coming in there and i remember um back in the 2016 election um, just having lunch and it's like and here comes in you know jeb bush just walks in it's like grabbing lunch it's like oh i gotta run you know kind of thing and it's like you're just these very minor things of like they want to be accessible people know that they're there today and then you see these candidates that are walking in and and it's just for these very minor things of like they want to be accessible people know that they're there and similarly to what drew said it's not the fandom but it's what south carolinians now have come to expect of you know all of the local um i would even say like chamber of commerce meetings now like there's going to be a presidential candidate there they're going to be at everything from here on out our state fair a variety of things and so being able to lean into those opportunities to meet them to shake their hand to get to know who they really are is important for south carolinians so but for political junkies this has to be fun i mean i'm sure for the three of you this is like this is a great time of of the cycle right if you're and it's not just true of us all all of our activists they love this stuff they love this stuff and they really want to be part of the process and and a lot of it is is helping them uh get access and just because we tend to have a lot of information that flows through us and so we can share that information with our activists and they love it they really get excited about it uh, I know our activists in New Hampshire always say, "Well, I want to. I want to know next time Senator Tim Scott's going to be in state. Can you can you let me know when that is?" And so a lot of it is is just for us is connecting the the access points to the to the, to the activists who want to get engaged. Uh, I will say I will say that that uh, one of the things that AFP gives us a great opportunity to do is because these candidates know AFP's grassroots strength. They they want to they want to build relationships sure. with yeah. us. Uh, and and because they know we we have the the grassroots connections that can help them uh, help them along the way, and we're happy to do it as a service to our activists. We just you know our activists love this stuff. They love politics as much as we do. Again, the activists in, in Iowa probably take the cake as far as the most spoiled activists. <laughs> we'll take the cake for the most spoiled voters. <laughs> but, you know, so it really it really is, and, and and we just you know I don't know how you can live in Iowa and New Hampshire not just love everything about the process if you like politics, right? Right. Yeah. I wanted to ask about surrogates, and I'll ask each of you that. But, but Candace, you know, Joe Biden got the nomination really through South Carolina last time. James Clyburn was critical to endorsing him, and everything sort of fell in place after that for him. How critical are those endorsements? And particularly with South Carolina in the Republican primary this year, you've got, you know, your former governor. Yeah. You've got a U.S. senator from South Carolina, both of those running how does all that, how do surrogates play into that? Oh, it's, it's huge. It's a very crucial part of the process. And so we have seen, of course, yeah, Jim Clyburn, that became the linchpin and what really became the catalyst for, for Biden becoming president. And we see that same thing now. So, of course, like when, when candidates start announcing, there are already surrogates who are lining up behind them. Um, of course, Tim Scott just announced earlier this week, there were a number of state elected officials there who were already saying like i'm in for tim we saw the same thing for governor haley when she announced we've seen the same thing for president trump when he announced like it is one of those things where they start lining up those folks 
early on because they are the trusted messengers in their communities. And so when these presidential candidates, of course, they try to be everywhere. Their campaign team tries to be everywhere. But the elected officials and those local community leaders are the trusted ones that are there and they're going to be at every local breakfast right. if someone can't, right? And so being able to have that elected official or that community leader, that pastor a lot of times, especially in our really rural communities that welcomes these folks into their churches, they become such a crucial part of this nomination process because that's who people are looking to to determine like, well, I really align with this person and this person has done great work at the state house. So like they must be solidly picking who they want sure. to become president. Sure. Well, and yeah. And, and you even have uh, uh, Lindsey Graham. We who, do. Right. Yeah. Who, it plays pretty big in he Republican does. politics. He does. Yeah. yeah. And so we see, we see a lot of that. And as Greg mentioned, though, like our activists are hungry for this access to, sure. and of, and so we we actually share, you know, we share that information with them of saying, hey, there's this local county meeting coming up, or this local chamber meeting coming up. This person will be there, or that person will be there. Like, go attend, especially if these like free events, because people want to be able to ask them questions. Right. And and I think what's cool too is we then get to help plant questions in the audience. So we have done that before. Um, for for this presidential engagement, we've done it before for previous primary engagements in the state, where we will give one of our activists because people see us all the time. They're like, I'm not going to answer Candace's question, right? Like I see her all the time. But we'll have activists who we can hand a question to, and sure. they will try to get that question asked. So then we get someone on the record answering something as to like how are they aligned with AFP or not on a certain issue. And so that I think is really cool too, because then you have activists who are helping to drive that narrative across the state. Right align with AFP's policies. Right. And you all have surrogates as well, right? Your governors, uh, your, your senators, and, and who they end up aligning with. That, that's a big deal. They, they will at times attach themselves to a candidate and go with them around the state. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's a big deal, Drew. Yeah. I mean, Governor Reynolds has been campaigning with, with all of them. I mean, has, has helped introduce them and welcome them to the state of Iowa and uh, you know, I don't know what her long-term plans are, but yeah, you'll have elected officials that that decide to make endorsements. Um, now, I think we we oftentimes kind of take a wait and see approach. Um, you know, it's a it's a long road from now to the caucuses, and and so you know, people uh, again they want to they want to really get a sense of of yeah every aspect of the candidate, not least of which is their work ethic, their, their ability to come put in the work and and put in the miles around the state. Uh, but yeah, I mean, a, a, across the board. Um, our elected leaders want to showcase Iowa to these folks that are coming and visiting and, and they want to paint Iowa in, in the best light possible uh, for sure. But it's not just those elected uh, officials. It's, you know, uh, other, you know, right now in the, the Republican uh, process, you have all of these center right or, or conservative influencers that are doing the exact same thing. And uh, and that's everything from, like I said, you know, the, the governor of the state of Iowa to maybe the, the leader of some, you know, patriot group in rural Iowa all of them are are doing this. They're they're welcoming folks in. So it's every Republican county central committee is hosting you know a chili supper or whatever whatever it is. We're we're not at sweet corn season yet, but eventually you get into the sweet corn festivals, and those are that's maybe the best time to be in Iowa. You've got all of these small events happening, and and you know influencers in their own own rights in their own communities that are going to play a, a role. And, and like I said, I mean, this is, these caucuses are driven by community. And so 
uh, an influencer over a community of 20, 30, 40 people. That's a political power broker in the state of Iowa. Um, and it really comes down to that work ethic. Are you going to go out and earn the, the vote and the support of each of those small communities around the state? Because that's the, that's the road to winning the caucuses. Yeah. You don't have sweet corn festivals in New Hampshire? Uh, I think it's more like seafood festivals. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, listen, I, what, here's what I'm going to do. I, I want to do a podcast episode on Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. So I, I'd like to have each of you come back. We'll just do a whole episode on your state, just kind of talk about what you're hearing, all that kind of stuff. Would y'all y'all go go a game for that? Yeah. So I'll yeah, be absolutely. Jesse Mallory to the second, and oh. then you'll give me a third. <laughs> no, I'm going to give you a third before Jesse. How's that? That's, that sounds That's good. great. I'm on. Good. Let's you do it. Do yeah, that? let's do it. Okay. Well, we'll do it. Uh, th- this is exciting stuff. It's fun for for other people around the country who don't live this stuff and live in these states that that get all of this primary attention if you're from alaska they're like what are they talking about hawaii what presidential candidate goes all the way to hawaii to get what three electoral votes or whatever they have um so this is an interesting process these folks are experts on this they're experts on their states and we're going to have them come back but hey thank you for listening to american potential Follow us on YouTube, uh, if you will. All of these are now posted on YouTube. That's a great way to watch the podcast, but you can also find us on any podcast platform. We do essentially three podcast episodes a week, and uh, the the podcast is growing uh, at, at a great pace. So thank you for that. We appreciate you listening. We'll be back next time with another edition of American Potential. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.